the, um, now, we got something up on the screen? Hopefully, if you swap over to Mac, it should appear. Excellent. Going to try, um, not a world's first, but a first for us. We're going to try the first interactive cartoon. If you are below 21, or 21 or below, if you're 21, I'll accept. If you're in your 20s, you could read what Jeremy says. The rest of us are going to pretend to be par uh, parents. That's Jeremy's mum. And if you could read this with me, that you're going to act out this cartoon. Ready? So all the, um, the, the people who are older than 21, if you could... With me, okay, let's hear your New Year's resolutions, Jeremy. Why? <laughs> I'm interested <laughs> to see what you think could make you a better person. That's it, I'm done talking with you. <laughs> Can I just ask you, don't try this at home, okay? Don't do it. There will be trouble. I have really mixed feelings when it comes to New Year's resolutions. I used to start each year by asking who makes a New Year's resolution. I stopped doing it. Never that many people. Uh, I'm not going to do it this time. You can share it amongst yourselves. Oh, I've got these mixed feelings. I'm kind of conflicted because on the one hand, we want to change and be better people, don't we? Most of us? Yeah. Um, and so we can making a decision to do that, to lose weight, pray more, read our Bibles, cut the lawn regularly, do your toenails, have a tidy office. <coughs> yeah, okay, mate. <laughs> Already we've got the laughs. They're good things. And there are industries built on this. Late night TV, which must be in trouble now. There's Netflix and uh, Amazon and that kind of stuff. Late night TV selling us the Stairmaster and devices that will vibrate our ways to buns of steel. And then there's the motivational speaker industry who promises that the sky is ours if we just follow their 12-step easy plan. Um, and if that works, then fantastic. But of all people, Christians should know that change is more than possible. It's called of us. It began to our surprise being born again. And we know we're not just supposed to be couch potatoes. We're supposed to be followers, learners. That means being on the way. That means changing. On the other hand... How many New Year's resolutions have I achieved? I mean, look at these abs of steel. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Well said. I suspect many of us, when you look back in your past, you'll see that boom and bust cycle. You set yourself an unrealistic goal, which you're going to do, and you're going to do, and you're going to do, and you, then you find yourself really feeling really stink because you didn't achieve it. Not that it was realistic anyway, but you know, that's what you were going to do. And if you've told everyone, it's even more embarrassing. So after a while, you don't want to tell people. Or maybe worse still, maybe you achieved it. Now, that might be a good thing. Look, New Year's resolutions aren't bad, but this week I read an article by a guy called Graham Isidore, a freelance writer, who, um, who wrote that he spent 80 days trying to get abs and it ruined his life. He did succeed, he did end up with abs, but um, his partner and his fit fitness coach kept telling him, could you stop doing this? It's making you miserable. And because th the fatal flaw of the New Year's resolution, it's not that they're bad, but they're kryptonite. The thing that makes them flawed is that they are all about us. 
Next year, I will is a statement that's centred in me. So to summarise, we want to change, and the New Year's resolution, it's, it's good to change, but New Year's resolution's model doesn't work for everyone. Really attractive if you're task-oriented. And then there's one more complication for New Year's resolutions for me, and that is that life has a thing of intervening. I had a series of plans this year. I was going to um, seek to practice hospitality, I was going to get fitter, I was going to pray more. None of my New Year's resolutions involved learning how to fill in an impact, a victim impact report, working with an intransient insurance company, visiting a physio regularly. Um, if you're a guest, seven months ago my wife and I were knocked off our bikes by a distracted driver, and we've on, been on the pathway to recovery since then. We have ended up receiving meals, being at the receiving end of hospitality more than practising it. I'm less fitter than I was a year ago, which wasn't on my plans, but you don't know what the future holds. You don't know. And so it's not surprising that many of us would feel quite conflicted when we think about New Year's resolutions and maybe we'd make this one. My New Year's resolution is to quit making New Year's resolutions. <laughs> but, I mean, yes, look, there's some evidence that suggests those boom and bust diets do more harm than good. And none of us want to be on that roller coaster of shame. But is that enough? Well, I've been reading Isaiah, and for those of us who are considering the new, the possibility of new, I'd like to unpack a few of Isaiah's words. It must be a really tough thing to be a prophet to tell the truth. Do people like people who tell the truth? No. Not so much, particularly if they tell the truth you don't like. Prophets warned kings and other prophets that you weren't just to say anything. In fact, I don't think many prophets would make cut it as a fitness coach or personal trainer or perhaps even a minister because they were cautioned to tell the truth. They were cautioned not to tell people peace, peace where there is no peace. They were cautioned to say, if you don't have peace, you don't have peace. They were told to tell truth but not only the truth. In the first half of Isaiah, Isaiah speaks the truth to power. He tells people how they need to return to God. He tells the leaders how they're supposed to look after the poor, orientate themselves around God and not their own egos, which, as far as we know, is, was, uh, sorry, was as popular a message as it is today. For decades, Isaiah has railed against the people in power calling them to God. And then something happens, there is a disaster, the people of Israel get exiled. That is, as if Australia invaded New Zealand and exported us all to work in the mines over in Australia. The whole country got invaded, dragged off to work as foreign workers, or the equivalent, in Babylon's dairy farms and kitchens. Yes, they were involuntary migrant workers. It would have been, I think, a bit like being hit by a car on a bike. Only in their case, it was kind of their fault. They had been warned by God lots of times. They were like the teenager kid who keeps being told, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and they do it and it goes wrong. They were in exile because they kept breaking the covenantal agreements with God persistently, and the threat had hung over their heads for decades, and now they were uprooted in a strange land. Everything was different 
Religion was a really big part of how they saw things, and now it was mocked. Worse still, their old patterns of worship weren't working. You can't sacrifice in a temple if you can't get to it. And Sabbath? Well, what's the boss going to say about that? And synagogue? Again. And families were broken up, sent to different places. All the power that they took for granted was taken away and lost. It was a time of confusion and morphing family structures. And quite a bit of time has passed between the first half of the book of Isaiah and the second. So what is Isaiah going to say to these people? As a prophet who's been ignored, surely he's really tempted to say, I told you so. It's your own stupid fault. I mean, that is the truth. And prophets tell the truth. So Isaiah wets his lips and he speaks. And this is what he says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Let's be clear. Israel has sinned and God wasn't pretending otherwise. If the goal had only been to seek the proof, God could have said, it's all your fault, quit your whinging and whining and sniveling, act your age, get on with it. That would have been true to the facts, but it wouldn't have been gospel or good news. It's not that God doesn't acknowledge sin. No, it's acknowledged, it's paid for. But instead, Isaiah's cry is to comfort his people. I um, knew a 19-year-old girl who'd worked really hard to get her first car. She was, um, and, you know, got a license, driving around the place, it's great. She got, um, earned a fair bit of the money working for Chinese takeaways. And one day, she um, picked up lunch at the Chinese takeaways, you know, got a disc stuff, discount kind of stuff, got some eggs for young, put it on a lap, started driving down the road. Egg for young started to slip off a lap. What do you do? She did what most of us would do as we went to grab for it. As she grabbed steering wheel off, her car went bang into a parked car. Yep. Oh, no. Pretty terrible thing. Now, just imagine for a moment you're her parent. What is the appropriate reaction? Do you say, well, you shouldn't have put it on your lap? Yeah. You do? <laughs> Cheers for that. Is that the best reaction you can give? No. Why not? Absolutely. What does is, what is she need? She needs comfort. It's okay. It's happened. The fault finding, the facts, they're not it. And that's what we need. A number of people here were in the earthquake. And yes, after an earthquake, you want to understand what has happened. So the feeding of the brain really matters. But the cry of why isn't answered just by the facts. What you want is other people present in your lives. You want comfort. It's what we humans need when we're in trouble. We need comfort when we're sick because we have been separated from health. We need comfort when someone we love dies because they too have been separated from us. And the people of Israel were in exile. They had been separated from their homeland. And firstly, they needed Comfort. 
If you'd have come to me and Linda after our accident and said it was our own fault for riding our bikes on the road, we were in a bike lane and actually we didn't, uh, I mean, it didn't do anything wrong, but it was a risk we take. We would have thanked you for your advice and shown you to the door. <laughs> we need comfort. It matters. Comfort my people. How do you do that? It takes time. Being present with someone. I think it's about putting down your own agendas. You'll know if you've tried to be next to someone whose friend has died, you can't make it better. Or who's found out they have cancer. We, my, I don't have a magic wand to wave. I doubt that most of us do. We can pray for them. Yes, but what they need is comfort and presence. And that's about just us putting aside our agendas and being there, being present. Now, why on earth would I be talking this to us? We're not in exile, are we? Have we been grabbed and dragged off to another country? <laughs> Some of us have. <laughs> well done, Chris. We're not exiled, but for many of us, this is a foreign land. The rate of change in our culture leaves many of us gasping. We're still figuring it out. It has changed so quickly. We're only now discovering what the cost of giving mobile devices to all our kids were. When I was a kid and I did something stupid, people might talk about it for a week, hopefully only a week, but it would not be posted up on the web for everyone to see for years. There's no wonder, to my mind, that there's a massive growth in anxiety levels in younger people. There's some pressure. Everything you do might be recorded. Someone might get a photograph of you not looking flash. We go to weddings now and they say, please don't post any photos. Can we get the good ones up first? Our world has changed really quickly and keeps changing really quickly and it makes us feel uprooted. We've got a certain sense of a loss of at-homeness. They even, when they talk about Older people and younger people, they say, for those of us born before cell phones, we are in this world digital immigrants. We didn't grow up in this world. It changed amongst us. But for those of you who, who are natives and have always known cell phones, I'm not sure it's much better for you. That world changes so fast. Next year, Snapchat and Facebook could have gone the way of MySpace or American Online. It changes really quickly. And that leaves us unsettled. It leaves us feeling uprooted. A little bit like being in exile. The patterns that we use to do education, to do home, lots of things have dramatically changed. And we're figuring it out. So we're a little bit like the people of Israel in exile. The roles we knew aren't necessarily how things work now. The world, even for below 20s, the world you were born into has changed in the time that you're alive. Eugene Peterson said, if we could pin down how we feel, it's not so much that God has left us alone, but, we ha and, uh, but that we have wandered off and left God and we feel both guilty and lonely. He said, in our uprootedness, our lack of homeless, sorry, our lack of feeling at home leaves us needing a voice that says, comfort my people. Presence. I personally think it's one reason why it's incre incredibly important in church. 
that we build around the love of God and the grace of God. I am, um, in my prayer life, I was reading uh, something that Henri Nouwen was writing, and he said, um, but that really hit me hard was just this line that said, pay attention to the voice that reminds you that you are loved. There's lots of voices. Pay attention to the voice that reminds you that you are loved. The starting point for lots of us is comfort. So I am suggesting to us, not as a New Year's resolution, that this would be a good thing to build into your life next year. Time and space to be with others and comfort. I'm suggesting it to me, actually. But that may be too fluffy, and Isaiah continues. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, what does that make us think of? John the Baptist quotes this. This is used to describe John the Baptist. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So, in the desert, sand dune after sand dune, what's it really tough to do? Travel in a straight line. Not get lost. So let's make that straight, a highway. So the top gear guys can drive really expensive cars, really expensive, uh, maybe not. And let's carry on that theme. In the steep valley, every valley shall be raised up. The steep valleys where going down slows you down. And you know how hard it is to go down something risky? Raise where there's danger and it's slow. Lift them up. And those impressive mountains and hills make them low. The rugged places, the mouth ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. Prepare the way. Now, that's the stuff of New Year's resolutions, isn't it? Preparing the way. Yes, in our lives, the landscape has changed, but we can change some of it ourselves. And this is more the territory of New Year's resolutions. Preparing the way. Anybody watch Anita setting up for Christmas in the park? There was a lot of preparing the way going on. And what it meant was we could do something stunning. The building team... They've been doing lots of preparing the way. Because you have to. You don't just start building. Um, Chris will tell you that if you do, you pay for it later. Is that right? See, I do listen occasionally. Um, <laughs> so they're preparing the way for the building, a plan, a budget. It takes ages. And then in our personal lives, preparing the way. How do you go about doing that? Well, you might decide that you'd like to pray more. So you'd think... I'll make a time. And you could make a time with God. Set an alarm on your watch or your phone or, or your device or if you're just disciplined, tell someone else and ask, get them to ask you. Take a time when you're good. Don't take the time when you're terrible. If you're a, a night owl, do not necessarily try and have your best time with God first thing in the morning. I'm one who suffers, what is it called? Precaffeination? Mike Smith posted, it's a nice little pre-caffeination, which is the art of not being able to do anything before your first um, coffee. No, it's pro-caffeination. That's right, like play on procrastination. If you are looking at wanting to grow in prayer, I'd recommend getting a prayer book. It is really helpful using other people's words to bounce off. And um, I've mentioned common prayer. 
um, prayers. There's a website, Prayers You Go Sacred Space. If you're at all interested, on our webpage, under the link of Learn, is a Learning to Pray section. It has links to some apps and some websites that might help, but actually I think it's more about pay, taking some time and having something to spark you. You might decide part of your preparation would be reading the Bible, because if you want to know about the way, well, you'll want to read your Bible. If you're a book person, there's a book called Through the Bible, Book by Book. It's light. It's an overview. It really helps you. I find it helpful. Um, the Holy Trinity Brompton guys have put up an app or a website, or you can have an email that, has, that emails you so that you can work through the Bible in one year. You can, have it, you can read it, or you can have it read to you. So if you're not a great reader, you can put it on, and it will read it through. You could decide other parts of your life. Are you connected with other people? Are you a, Actually, more for blokes than, than, than women. It does seem to be, after about 40, blokes are often alone a lot. It is good to be connected, sharing your life with someone else. If you're disconnected, what could you do about it? Yes, actually, things like fitness, they do figure. Your basics, fitness, how you're eating, how you're sleeping. They may be simple. We can build kind of holy practices into our life, but the starting point isn't about us. This is a bit about us preparing. And then you ask, what are you preparing for? Because Isaiah does continue. And Isaiah says, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says the third part of what he is speaking to people in pain and disorientation is, come back to God, the glory of God. If you like, all his promises are yes and amen, the faithfulness of God because it was never about you in the first place. So there you go. I can't, I'm really terrible at New Year's resolutions. Yes, I have some things I'm going to try this year, but I am not brave enough to tell you. Not up front here, because it's going to be really embarrassing later on when I have to say, well, I haven't done so crash hot on that. No, I'll confess at the end of the year, as I've done now. Here's the suggestion. Instead of a New Year's re resolution, how about we take some pages from Isaiah? Take space to be with others not about you. Being in the presence of others, being for them, to comfort someone is to set aside your agendas. Be there for them. Then yes, prepare your own way. Look at your life and your habits. Are there things? Listen, it's not bad to, net, to binge on Netflix. It's fine. But if it's all you're doing, you need to change your habits. Because <laughs> there's, you know, we become what we do. Prepare the way. Take some time to pray. Some, find some way to remind yourself of the love of God. And then lastly is this turning to God, because we can prepare the way, but it only happens when God moves. See you, Dave. Cheers. Cheers, guys. You can prepare the way, but you can't make it happen because then we turn to God and we expect from God. That's kind of the end of the message, except I'd like to pray. So I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. God, here we are. Thank you for this last year. Thank you for the breath we have breathed, 
for the joys, for the surprises that were a pleasure, for the friendships, for the fun. We acknowledge that this year there were things that were rough, things that hurt, people we said goodbye to, friendships ended. Probably there were hates and harsh words. We acknowledge that some of it, that came from us. So we would ask you to comfort us. to be present in our lives. And we would ask that that would not just be for us, but it would be for others. That there would be people we can care for and comfort and be present to. And we think of next year and who we are now, and you love us. So not out of a need to do or prove anything, but in response to that love, just for a little bit, we think about our habits and our routines. And I ask you, Spirit, to prompt us in places where actually that's not so much helping us. Spirit, we pray that you'd nudge us, give us a kick in the bum, give us some smarts to make good, holy habits. We want to see people coming to life and knowing you. We want to be part of preparing that way. The last part of this prayer is we pray, God, that you will come in and through our lives. We will see your glory more than we have seen. We will rejoice in you being God and the wonders that come from that. That we would meet the end of next year with a sense of joy in what we have seen you do. Amen. If you're sitting next to someone you know and you've been prompted about someone and you don't want to forget it, you could say something to them while the team comes up. They're going to lead us in the song Anchor. Thanks. <laughs>